Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we speak to the experts and break down the technology and the data that is allowing us to measure, optimize, and understand our health in ways that have never been possible before. This show is for the health hackers, the data nerds, the athletes, the execs, the high performers, and anyone looking to take their health and their game to the next level. Be sure to check out our website and our health analytics app at headsuphealth.com and feel free to shoot us an email, support at headsuphealth.com with any comments, questions, or feedback on this show or our app. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and let's get into our next episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. Today, my guest is Jessica Drummond. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we got introduced through a mutual friend of ours, April Porter. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she said, hey, you need to have Jessica on the show. She's a badass. So (laughs) I listened to her. And we've since gotten connected using uh, the Heads Up platform with a lot of your work because you're a very evidence-based practitioner and you understand heart rate variability and other lifestyle parameters and how to apply those. So we were immediately kindred spirits on the data nerd side. Mm -hmm. But here today, we want to learn about the work, the body of work that you're doing, which is incredible and respectable. And I've been through your Facebook group and seen all the amazing content you're putting out there. So um, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing at the Institute which is the Integrative Women's Health Institute. Jessica is the founder and CEO of the Institute. So yeah, tell us about what's going on over there. Yeah, so I started the Institute about 11 years ago now. And from the very beginning, it's been about training my colleagues in functional nutrition, lifestyle medicine, and the communication skill set of health coaching So I started my career a little more than 20 years ago now in as a physical therapist. I originally intended to start to practice in sports medicine and orthopedics. And I did that briefly and really enjoyed it. I was an athlete as a kid and, you know, kind of aligned with doing that sort of stuff, sports and sports medicine. And but pretty quickly I actually began to specialize my practice in women's health. And women's health from a physical therapy standpoint is basically the musculoskeletal, you know, joints and muscles and nerves related to women's health conditions. So like shoulder injuries that happen after breast cancer surgery or the rib pain and pelvic issues or back pain associated with pregnancy, urinary incontinence, prolapse, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for many years, you know, in a regular hospital-based clinical practice or in outpatient practices. And the one population of women's health that was particularly challenging for me and and many of my colleagues at the time was complex pelvic pain. So women who have deeper sexual pain or pelvic organ pain, and it often integrates with pelvic floor pain, pain in the hips, pain in the back, radiation down the legs. You know, there's a lot of both kind of organ structures and muscles, joints, bones, nervous system that meet together in the pelvis. If you think about it, there's digestive system, there's reproductive system, there's immune system, there's musculoskeletal system. And 
anytime there's pain signaling, of course, the nervous system's involved. So I got sick later when I was in my early 30s and used the tools of functional nutrition to kind of regain my own hormonal health. And I was like, huh, you know, pelvic pain sometimes has a cyclical expression. And so how could we apply some of these things I've learned from a nutrition perspective to help my most challenging pelvic pain clients? And right from the very beginning, as I started to just practice this and navigate how to apply it and do some of my own research, I was working in a hospital in, well, a little pretty soon into it, not immediately when I started, but within a couple of years, I was working at a hospital in Houston that was a women's specialty hospital. And I just began to teach my colleagues there, my coworkers. We started hosting courses. So really from the moment I began learning this information, I began teaching it to my colleagues. And so that's how the school was built. So now we have about 17 different courses and and we also have a health coach certification that is board approved and we have lots of board certified health coaches that come out of it, focusing on women's health, not just in pelvic pain, which is my kind of clinical specialty, but also fertility and perimenopause and period pain and all kinds of women's health issues. That's cool. So you started working in in the traditional hospital setting, working in a traditional conventional medicine setting. And mm-hmm. then like many of the people on the show, myself included, had to do some work on your own physical health. And then you started discovering some of the connections between functional nutrition, functional movement, functional approaches. And then it sounds like you started... I don't know if beta testing is the right word, but you started educating a lot of your your colleagues in the conventional setting. And then is is it correct to say that you've now fully branched out into doing your own work full time with training, education, certification programs, virtual clinics? Is that accurate? Yeah. So for about 11 years now, I've had my own practice and some of it was in person for a while. It's been more and more virtual, and with the COVID pandemic, it's now and will probably forever be 100% virtual. We don't have to go to the doctor's office anymore. Yes, we (laughs) could do the Zoom call. Thank goodness. Saves me an hour. Saves everybody an hour. Well, and you know, that's really how it started. I originally built in Houston this gorgeous, like, room. We had built a house and I built this big studio over my garage. It was like reclaimed wood floors and all this light. And I kept envisioning like yoga retreats and stuff. And literally no one ever came to that space. I had a card table, a laptop, a chair, because once I told people in Houston that they could see me just, you know, on the phone, I don't even like things like Zoom didn't even really exist yet. It was just literally Mm -hmm. a phone. Like we didn't have Skype or even I think at that time, but just not having to commute to one more doctor's appointment to just be able to do it on your lunch hour completely changed how I practice. It was completely client driven. Cool. So you were ahead of your time on the virtual stuff, ahead of the (laughs) curve, definitely. But at least now you have this beautiful place at home that you can turn into a, a sacred space or, or a room to do your own types of activities and meditations and 
So I'm wondering if you if you found a new utility for the room that was initially supposed to be for the in-person visits. Well, it's not exactly. Bit of a random we, question, but yeah. I was just curious. What did <laughs> it turn into? Question. That's a great question. But actually, we sold that house because during that time in my life, we actually moved 11 times in 13 years. That's a good years. amount of moves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was another reason why I started going digital by client-driven, you know. Yeah, out of uh, necessity. And then I just kept it there because my husband was traveling a lot for work. I had young kids. We were sort of following him around a little bit, trying to figure out where to land. And I've been in the same place now in a different place. So I was in Texas then, and now I'm in Connecticut. And I've been here for about five years. And I do have an office, but it's a lot smaller. But it's still a great, yes. It's, I, I do think it is important for practitioners listening to this call who are going to be moving into the digital model, and it might be new for you definitely have a real office because I think not only is it energetically important, but there are things about kind of communicating with clients and patients that you want to maintain confidentiality. You want to maintain good energy and healing energy. You don't want to be like running to do your laundry at the same time. Like you have to be at work, even if you're working. Creating, creating that separate space for lots of yeah. different reasons. Yeah. So. Let's dive a little bit into the work here. And what I'm really curious about is if you can help educate us on how nutritional therapy is so vital to these health issues that are in the midsection of females. And I know that anything related to blood sugar dysregulation is inflammatory. So I'm assuming there's some component of that there. But can you help educate us on what the nutritional therapies are what is exacerbating the symptoms from a nutritional point of view? What does a functional nutrition template look like if you're working with a client who is dealing with some of these things? What is it about nutrition that, that is exacerbating problems and which aspects of nutrition can we use to then start the healing process? Yeah, so the way I approach this, I think of it, functional nutrition is about optimizing systems, right? So instead of chasing the symptoms, we always say, don't chase symptoms, optimize systems, physiologic mm -hmm. systems. So for, when it comes to pelvic pain, I just talked to you about how the bowl of the pelvis houses all these different systems. Yep. And so really it's a nervous system out approach. So I used to start with digestion and we still have digestion early on in the process kind of concurrently almost, but I'm realizing as I do this work more and more that calming the nervous system is so important to optimizing digestive function because you mm -hmm. certainly can't absorb nutrients and calm digestive and, and, and general inflammation if someone's in, in chronic flight or flight, which is why I've gotten so interested in heart rate variability in the that last couple of years. Question. Yeah, because it's the only way we can objectively measure that people totally. who yeah because people who have chronic pain syndromes especially something like endometriosis most of the time the symptoms begin somewhere between ages 8 and 12 mm -hmm. so if for your entire life you know the SATs your softball championships your math presentation your science fail project was always on a day when you had intense period pain or pain, which maybe wasn't during your period, some random time, or you had bloating or digestive issues, 
you would learn and what my clients have learned is how to kind of just like push that down and show up anyway, as much as possible because it's so often. Now I would say that still the number one reason that girls miss school is period pain. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing, but many people really learn how to push through it. So they don't, they actually no longer recognize when they're physiologically stressed, which is why heart rate variability can be so valuable because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, why is my daily, you know, whether you're looking at a body battery measurement on Garmin or an or a heart rate variability, like you've got an objective measurement that you can then start to make changes to, which will allow you to then use the nutrition therapy. So step one, calm the nervous system. Concurrently, chew. I mean, that's like the first the basics. people aren't doing. <laughs> yeah. But um, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised the amount of simple things like that where we're just not even mindful of it. And and like you said, we, we learn to suppress things. We learn strategies to cope. And even just giving someone some objective data now is starting to rebuild that, that connection they have to the signals coming from their body. So HRV is one, which is, I think, I would agree with you, incredibly important. As I'm sure you as a practitioner now, as you start to look at enough patients, you can immediately start to spot the ones that have sympathetic nervous system overload. I know I can. I have a number of clients where I can immediately, you start to see where the baseline numbers are for general population. You can start to spot those. And then the next thing you mentioned is chewing or also known as mindful eating. Yes. So, okay, keep going. And then we want to, we do want to have an anti-inflammatory food plan. So there's, there's flexibility in that to some extent. There's no like one size fits all endometriosis diet or pain diet or whatever. But generally speaking, adding vegetables, adding herbs and spices, I think we really under appreciate the value of how much antioxidant is in like oregano and garlic and rosemary and thyme and turmeric and things like that. So adding that from a culinary standpoint before we even bother with supplements. Yeah. And then adding obviously vegetables, but most of my clients have a lot of bloating issues, digestive issues. So we do it slowly with, you know, blended soups, cooked vegetables, start with that. And for women, a lot of times women are lacking in enough protein and absorbable protein. So they're struggling with low neurotransmitters. So they not only have pain signaling because of inflammation, but they may have low serotonin, low tryptophan, things like L-theanine and GABA support with either just actually absorbing the protein that they're eating. So chewing it, having enough stomach acid, having some animal protein in most cases or plant-based protein supplements that are more easily absorbed, good digestive enzyme quality, and healthy beneficial fats, you know, olive oil, things like coconut oil, nuts and seeds, but again, they have to be able to be digested. Yes. So we use things like urinary organic acids testing to make sure people are absorbing nutrients. And 
we like to start with kind of what people can eat. Cause if you've had a lot of digestive issues since you were like a 10 year old girl and you're afraid of food, there's a lot of eating disorder around that too. So while eventually we want to move away from inflammatory foods like sugars and dairy and certain grains and maybe all grains, it just depends. Or, you know, some people red meat, some people not red meat, but we want to do it where we first have really expanded what people can eat. So they're never feeling like it's a restrictive diet. Yep. So that all sounds very logical. So obviously the faster you can eliminate inflammatory processed foods, it sounds like that, that would be an important step. Like you said, your ability to tolerate grains and legumes is going to be on a case by case basis. It, it sounds a lot like an autoimmune diet. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I would say that's kind of the backbone for mm-hmm. most people. Some more plant-based, some leaning even more almost keto. Mm-hmm. But yes, I would say autoimmune paleo because endometriosis, we do know either the disease itself has some autoimmune properties or at the very least, it's often comorbid with a number of autoimmune diseases. And when good endometriosis excision surgery is done. So when the lesions are successfully taken out, excised, for at least a year post-op, those autoimmune markers tend to drop, which is really important for fertility and just for overall health. So what we try to do is support that both preoperatively and postoperatively so that we can improve the immune system for years and years. And I figured this out once when I was publishing some research in grad school about vulvodynia, which I also think has some autoimmune components, it very often will kind of quiet during pregnancy, but then come roaring back as soon as you get that shift in Th1, Th2 postpartum. So what we did was during pregnancy, someone whose vulvodynia had naturally quieted down We really focused on gut healing, immune healing, and restoring the lining of the small intestinal barrier, quieting the immune response, taking out those inflammatory and processed foods, and then continuing to do it. We followed that subject for 22 months. The vulvodynia never came back. Mm -hmm. So we kind of used pregnancy as the jumpstart, but same thing, we could potentially use excision surgery and endometriosis as the jumpstart, but instead of the autoimmune markers just staying lowered for a little while, keep it that way for years and years. And what autoimmune markers are you traditionally looking at? Well, usually you'll see comorbid things like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or celiac disease or elevated ANA. And sometimes there are associated other things like psoriasis or lupus or something like that. But a lot of times it's just, it's like an elevated ANA, but it's subclinical and there maybe aren't even any other diagnoses or elevated thyroid antibodies, even not all the way to the point of Hashimoto's, but starting to see moving in that direction. So those are the kinds we see. Celiac is very common too. Yep. So a lot of the digestive disorders are also oftentimes perhaps co-present. And like you said, they're there may even be some level of autoimmune component to this. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work from the function and nutritional template then is, is tamping down the immune response to inflammatory foods 
starting to bring down the sympathetic nervous system activity, which you're quantifying, mm-hmm. heart rate variability measurement, presumably starting to work on other supporting lifestyle factors like sleep quality, blood sugar regulation. You said you use the organic acid test as mm-hmm. one of your screenings. I'm sure there's some conventional labs. And so then you're, you're putting together these programs with certain level of personalization on a, on a client-by-client basis as they're going through it. Is that accurate? Yeah. So for our virtual clinic, what we do is we do kind of a personalized nutrition plan. That's and then, step one? For yeah, that's step one. Client. Mm-hmm. And potentially some, you know, looking at gut microbiome, urinary organic acids, sometimes hormone testing, just sort of depending on what each client needs. And then we, we do a lot with health coaching. So people in our programs have a, a 12 sessions of health coaching because, you know, it's one thing to have a list of like what to eat, what not to eat, what time to go to bed, da, da, da. but all of our clients are busy people and implementing these changes into their lives takes a lot of, you know, creating space, letting go of doing other things, yeah. behavior changes that get challenging you know, disordered eating issues, anxiety. And that's another reason that tracking can be so helpful because not only is it motivating, but for most women in our, in our programs, they never feel like they've done it well enough. So being able to see good progress, to kind of look back and celebrate any progress makes a difference. Because if you've had chronic pain for a long time, there's always this focus on when's your pain? How much is the pain? How often is the pain? What's causing your pain? Instead, we give, I give them actually a little journal in the beginning, like, hey, let's start tracking any little cracks in the armor of when you feel better. When, oh. Because otherwise, you're always looking for the pain, which if we think about pain brain science, pain neuroscience, that's the wrong place to focus the nervous system if we're trying to get rid of pain is to be yeah. constantly looking at pain. So yeah. And talking about it. Yeah. So that's how we try to shift it and using the tracking to demonstrate again more objectively how things are starting to improve. Yeah. So what would be some of the other lifestyle metrics then? Maybe you could talk a little bit more about how you personally use heart rate variability because I know it's a it's something that is getting a lot of airtime lately. But I don't think there's enough people that really know how to interpret that in a clinical setting. So when you're looking at that number, maybe you could just provide a basic education for practitioners listening. What are you looking for in those numbers? And that's obviously an opportunity to do what you just said, which is provide some good feedback like, hey, your HRV went up last night. Looks like you got a great night's sleep. This is a positive sign. So can you help us understand how you interpret the numbers up, down? What does that mean for a a total noob who's listening but wants to start using this data? Maybe some of their clients already have Aura Ring and Biostrap and they may already have access to this data. So how do you use that in the clinical setting? Yeah, so you either have the direct raw data of something like Aura Ring that will tell you the nightly heart rate variability. So heart rate variability is, as to kind of give a basic explanation, is in between heartbeats, there's some variability in the milliseconds of how long that takes. And you actually want that number to be relatively higher. You want the body to be flexible 
about when it's beating. That means there's a little more balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. So it's variable by age. It's variable by person. So there's not like a certain number we're trying to get someone to, but you're looking for that number to be for them increasing over time, especially at night when there should be this time of kind of deep recovery, especially for someone that has chronic pain. So the aura ring is, is a good option if you're looking for that every, like if you want to track the raw data and you want to see every night, like what during the day happened for that person to have higher heart rate variability during the night. And then over time from day one of our program to week 12, is that over time on average raising? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So aura ring is one way or the, the biostrap that you talked about, if you want the raw data, the other thing that we use a lot in our clinic is a Garmin that will actually give you a kind of, it's got more of a combination of things that describe stress. So we look at what's called the body battery. On I've that. heard of the battery battery. One of the guys on our, on our team has it and, and he uses it all the time. And yeah. my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that's more of a, also getting you the biofeedback during the day. Is that correct. correct. That's why I do like it because we don't get the raw HRV data, unfortunately. Maybe we'll, we can talk to them about that sometime, <laughs> but What's good about it is this will give us a little more general stress and recovery information, including during the day. So we can see the other things that are stressing people that they might not notice. So you'll go back and ask, maybe ask a few questions like, hey, yesterday these numbers really went down down the toilet or these numbers look fantastic. And, And you're actually now helping people build those associations themselves which may not have been there before. And that's a huge part of the, of the process, in my opinion, as well, is reconnecting people to these signals. Absolutely, because it's normal. We also want to teach people to get comfortable with being in some stress and just knowing that they're going to recover. Totally. So the tools 100%. for recovering, right? Yep. Yeah. So we want them exercising and moving, and exercise is always going to, kind of make that heart rate variability go down, but temporarily as long as then the recovery. So that night of sleep looks good. So not only do we look at HRV, but we also look at deep sleep time. And ideally it's happening like right in the early time of the night. So there's lots of things that factor into that. How much blue light screen time have they had? Hygiene course. Exactly. I mean, we could go on and on about that, but I think there are the, probably the three biggest things we look at is over time, is that baseline HRV increasing? And if there's a great night of sleep, what contributed to that so we can re- replicate it more? And then time in deep sleep, especially between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. when mm-hmm. we're kind of brain recovering. Mm-hmm. And then during the day, how well is someone recovering from their exercise? And what might be stressing them that they're surprised about? And around nutrition, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, well, I only eat sugar if I eat like organic almond milk and dark chocolate or whatever. And then, oh, but still, mm, that's pushing you into the orange. So mm-hmm. let's take a look at that, you know? Yeah. And then alcohol is another really big one. Sadly, friends, yeah. it's true. I've tested it a thousand times, <laughs> just kind of hoping that I'm wrong, but the numbers haven't really backed me up at all. No, I mean the nighttime recovery after somebody drinks alcohol. Oh, it's horrible. Is awful. <laughs> and 
and again, it's information, right? Like totally, we wish you gotta it was be different. With that. You, right. You know, we wish I have to push different. myself. Like if I've had a few drinks, I'm like, put the damn thing on. It number's <laughs> not going to be great, but you, we work with digital health technology all day. And, and I think it's important for people to, to learn how to be comfortable with the numbers that you know are going to suck. And you're yeah. just like, okay, maybe I won't even look at the numbers until I get home from work at night. And like you said, at least I know now that I need to focus on a recovery day. Whereas before I might've been totally ignorant to that and, and pushed it hard again for another night or two. So, um, yeah, the alcohol is disastrous for heart yeah. rate variability. And that's a really important KPI for you. So I'm sure you see some of that. So that Yeah, I think work and just general life stress, you know, we most of our clients are women. So right now they're trying to work from home, they're homeschooling. Oh, yeah. they're- I cannot even imagine working from home and, and having full-time kids to deal with. I mean, that alone is is gonna put extra stress on the system. So are you seeing that in some of the numbers in the oh, last sure. few months as we're still working through this whole quasi-lockdown scenario? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a big stressor. So again, the good news is about when you start to track is people can, they're motivated to do the recovery. So they may not be able to change everything about their week, but what they might do, so my assistant's a really good example of this and she'd be happy to share this. So she works hard and I, I appreciate her for that. But she, you know, there are times when she was getting really low and then she was like, I was like, look, we're tracking this. You need to take care of it. And she's like, great. So, but she's a great, she loves to hike. She lives out West. So she goes to like, these national parks and she's a big hiker. Oh, that's got to be great for rejuvenation. And it's fascinating. Like in less than three days, she can go from like an eight body battery to a hundred. Yeah. Which again, like if you can't change everything about the juggle, the kids, the underlying chronic pain situation, you have the work situation, but you have whatever works for you outlet for recovery, whether that's hourly meditation, whatever whether it that's is. Yep. hiking. I have, I actually massage. bought, yeah, I actually bought a paddleboard this summer cause we live near the beach, which is great. Every night I leave at five and I do that and it's some meditation. So cool. people have to like find that for them. Find something. Yeah. That's really cool. I wanted to spend a lot of time on that because I'm, I'm particularly interested in use cases of HRV in the clinical setting. Mm-hmm. And there's not enough practitioners doing it, in my humble opinion. And a lot of that is just because it's, it's not a common metric in, in traditional healthcare. It's more prominent, I think, in health and wellness and, and high performance. But hearing how you're using it in these settings related to inflammatory issues I think is really important. So if you're listening as, as a practitioner and you can now start to see how to use HRV almost as a, a motive, first of all, it's giving you a diagnostic ability to see where someone's at. Two, it's giving you a number to start at and let's improve as we take these inflammatory foods out of a person's diet and as we start helping to encourage them and reinforce positive behaviors and restorative, re- rejuvenating things, you're going to see the baseline come up. That's a win for everybody. And you're teaching people how to reconnect with, with signals from the body and learn how to recover, learn when to recover. So I just wanted to make sure we, we spent a lot of time on that because I think there's, there's a lot of applications of HRV and clinical data. So I just want to get your two cents on it. 
Yeah. And I would say one other thing about it, and that's that a lot of my clients, as I said, are very high achieving. And Mm -hmm. then they see their numbers being not so great, Mm -hmm. which they don't like to accept. So we have to kind of coach through that. And it also though is validating. So while they don't like it, they're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm better than this. Why am I stuck in the thirties? The data doesn't lie. (laughs) It doesn't. And so it's also validating that like, look, you know, you are really, you're doing great. You're a great person. You've pushed through. You're very smart. You're very talented. You're very skilled, but your body needs recovery for longevity. Yeah. And whether it's postpartum or post-op surgery, you know, how fast does Instagram tell you you have to get back into your genes, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what postpartum is about. That's not what post-surgery is about. And every woman who's had a C-section has had a major abdominal surgery. And these numbers really are helpful for showing us what our body has to go through to really recover. Yeah, it's been a profound influence in my own health. And I've been tracking on everything device on the market since 2011. And I still continue to learn more, a lot of it through heart rate variability tracking. I'm glad you were able to share your specific application of that. I know you're also using Heads Up to start getting some data on people remotely. So we're starting to build dashboards for you that can start to also collect some of those peripheral metrics. You talked about some of the conventional lab tests you look at as screening, some of the functional tests, microbiome, organic acid, other aspects of the the healing process, Jessica, and your protocols or programs that we haven't touched on, you think that might be valuable to anyone listening? Well, I think when it comes to chronic pelvic pain, it's really important to collaborate with a skilled pelvic physical therapist as mm-hmm. well that bodywork component. Um, and while we've gone very digital, there's still a very strong place for manual the therapies and bodywork. And so that's really valuable to do as well. And for helping people to really tune into the messages of their body and knowing when they are physically relaxed and activated and strong. And so we do take a very holistic team approach, both conventional and integrative. Cool. And tell us about the certification program. Yeah. So we have a a board certification in women's health coaching. So we're the only one in the world that focuses on women's health. That's eligible for the National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching board certification. We've been teaching this program since about 2012. It's been in its current form for the last I don't know, five years or so, we get audited periodically. So you've had a good amount of time to iterate on it and put it out there and get feedback and and keep making it better. Yeah. And so we now have, I think it's about 1,500 students in roughly 60 countries. So it's a very focused program on functional nutrition in women's health. Mm -hmm. But we start with the skill set of health coaching. Totally. you know, really about helping people have immediate buy-in, having them get excited about their plan to get healthy, coaching them through both internal and external barriers to change, figuring out where they are in the stages of change. And that kind of communication skill is actually very new to most clinical professionals who, just like me in our training, we're taught to like fix someone like they're a mechanic. 
but people are not the same. They have to do most of the work at home. So using the skills of, of health coaching really gets that buy-in from your patients. Well, that's fantastic that that's actually where you start, like before even jumping into the curriculum. You know, just a few anecdotal examples. We had Brandy Wiltermuth from 3Health on the podcast, and they do medically supervised weight loss using a lot of the same techniques that you're using, Mm -hmm. uh, HRV, nutritional therapy, sleep quality, functional Mm -hmm. testing. And she said that the first thing they do with a weight loss client is they meet with the uh, behavioral therapist. Yeah. And before they even start talking about like calories and stuff, it's like, let's have a talk about like where you're at in life and are there any psycho-spiritual, emotional things in your life that have got you into this position? Because a lot of those are, are undiagnosed mm-hmm. and play a huge role in even things like inflammatory conditions, autoimmune conditions. So I know that 3Health is using a very similar approach. And then when we interviewed Sandy Scheinbaum from the um, mm. Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, she said the same thing as you, which was that we train our health coaches to operate also in, in that support role and that consultative role and working on the softer skills in relation to helping people get excited about their journey, being able to find opportunities to encourage them on their journey and finding ways to just keep the good news coming in and be there for people to support them through this process because it's an overhaul in terms of your lifestyle. It's going to unfold over over the course of weeks and months and years. But yeah. when you first come in and, and you start changing your lifestyle and, and learning how to teach your body to relax and even acknowledging that maybe you do need to relax more than you thought you did and yes. changing diet and, and you, know, you don't want to admit that you're like, what do you mean? I'm not out of balance. I got this under control. I'm not stressed. And you are. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of change that needs to happen. So you have to be able to support that side of it as well. Yeah. And really that's the first step because until someone recognizes they need to change, they need to take ownership of these changes, they have to be willing to ask for help, take things off their plate and off yeah. their calendar. And so while the, the nutrition plan and the sleep plan and all of that is very important, it won't be executed without really a lot of support through making all those lifestyle changes because, you know, relationships have to change. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been incredibly educational, Jessica, and thank you for sharing all the great work that you're doing. Hopefully there are some individuals listening here where this has struck a chord, either because they're working on a similar health outcome or because they may have clients that are dealing with some of these issues and maybe did not even know where to start mm-hmm. in terms of functional approaches. And then there may just be people who want to get involved with your certification program to be able to do all of this stuff. So we covered a lot of ground here. We're grateful for your time. Thank so you. in closing here, just leave us some ways to get in touch with the Institute and with yourself and any other closing comments you want to add for the listeners here today. Okay, great. So our website is integrativewomenshealthinstitute.com. So you can browse through the courses that we have. If you have any questions for me, you can just send me a message on Instagram at integrativewomenshealth. 
And if you are struggling or if you have clients who are struggling with endometriosis or other pelvic pain conditions, you can go to outsmartendo.com and read more about, we uh, give you a download of the book that I describe our process in. That's a clever domain name. Yeah. Outsmart Endo. I like it. That's what you're doing with your methods. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's the goal. Very apropos. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jessica, this was awesome. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 